You're listening to Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast, dedicated to exploring the full potential of human physiology and mind with focus on ancient and modern techniques of self-development. Spend some time with Dr. Nader, who is leading the way in the science of consciousness and begin your journey to better understanding the relationship of mind and body, consciousness and physiology right now. In this episode, Dr. Nader joins students at Maharishi International University for a question and answer session on the future, consciousness, and AI. Hello, hello. Hi. <laughs> cool. So um, my question is on time and space. Do they exist together or is one subtler than the other? And I'm thinking about Dr. Hagelin's course and how Akash is the first principle and then it goes up to Prithvi, um, the earth element. So it starts with the ether element. And I'm curious if time has a higher affinity towards ether and if that gives rise to space or if they come together. Um, very interested to hear that. Thank you. Thank you. So the question about time and space, um, as we know in general relativity and special relativity also, uh, they talk about space-time. So from a physics perspective, they are a continuum and uh, they are reality. So before we answer the question of what is primary, the big philosophical question and, and the big question in even in, in physics is what is the origin of space and time? You know, are there, is space an entity, which means there is space and then things happen in space? Or the fact that we start existing, we kind of define space. Because if there is nothing in space, why you call it space? It's nothingness. So by definition, space is emptiness in a sense. Uh, if there is no object in space, is there space? Is space an entity? Is space a substance? That's a big question already, which we, we don't know. And different physicists, different scientists have different concepts of, of space. Like before the Big Bang, was there space? Or when the Big Bang happened, then space came. But how did space come? What is inflation? Why things separate from each other? Is the space growing or they just kind of go apart, but they go apart where and what? You know, so when I address this question in the, in the consciousness paradigm that I present, I have a proposal of what space and time are. And they emerge from the I don't want to use big words like ontology and stuff. They emerge from the essence of the reason why manifestation happens to start with. So, to make this a little clearer, why is there anything rather than nothing? If you start with just pure field of consciousness, an unbounded field of pure being, why 
it becomes you and me and the table and the cat and the stars and all of that. Why? What's going on? And that is a profound question that also has no real answer so far, but I propose an answer. And the answer is that consciousness has two aspects to it, an unmanifest aspect, which is its essential nature, one unbounded pure consciousness that is non-manifest, but that reflects on itself. And by reflecting on itself due to its nature, what is its nature? To be conscious. That's why we're calling it consciousness. Otherwise, we would call it energy, we'd call it will, you know, and some philosophers call it different things, unified feel, like that. Okay, fine. These are different descriptions of its dynamics, but we're calling it consciousness. That means we are already saying its nature is to be conscious. That's why we're calling it consciousness. So what is it conscious of? It's conscious of itself. And again, in this university, you are very familiar with knower, knowing, and known. So it knows itself. That means there is a knower, a subject that knows itself as an object. And so you have now the creation of three aspects, the knower, the known, and the process that connects the knower to the known. So within consciousness, there is virtual three levels to start with and they interact with each other and then it starts becoming conscious of itself in an infinite number of ways so like you you can be conscious asleep you can be conscious in dream you can be conscious in waking there are different states of consciousness you can be very aware and alert during waking state. You can be drowsy, less alert, sleepy. So these are gradations of consciousness. So when consciousness looks at itself, even in an unmanifest way, it imagines all possible ways of being conscious. Okay? Follow me? I usually give the example of an author. Suppose you are an author of fiction books and to have a fiction book you want to imagine things so you sit here and you say well what about a unicorn what about Apollo and Aphrodite what about Devata what about this what about a human being that is very intelligent and another human being that is very creative and another great painter and another person who is bad guy, bad he, bad she, bad day, bad this, bad this, good this, good that. You can imagine anything you want, right? So even with our consciousness as humans, which we don't pretend we have unlimited consciousness, but we do have quite a consciousness, we can imagine anything we want, right? And some authors have greater imagination than others. They create stories that are interesting and, and amazing and all that. Other people have more like maybe mathematical, they think only logic, what is this imagination? It's a waste of time. So, uh, but then imagination is possible. Now imagine, you can imagine. <laughs> 
imagine a consciousness that is so big that actually it's all our consciousnesses included plus much more you know it's like also the consciousness of all the teachers in the university the consciousness of all those who are in the united states the call consciousness of all the people on planet earth the consciousness of all the animals on the planet earth of all the plants and the trees and the flowers and and the stones and the planets wow imagine that consciousness all added up in one entity that has that ability to think in infinite number of ways and that is pure consciousness it can imagine anything it wants it's just imagination does the unicorn exist no we have never seen a unicorn but it's a nice idea it has some flavors of beautiful things we talk about it it's an interesting character so we can imagine it like that we can imagine a bad unicorn also we can imagine what we like right so imagine since we can imagine what we like imagine that consciousness unmanifest like an author but with infinite possibility of being conscious it can imagine anything it wants that means it imagines us today sitting here imagines you imagines me it can imagine me as immortal always young and healthy and happy that's a good one <laughs> can imagine you also like that uh, yeah sure I can imagine me at 10,000 years old is it a problem it's an imagination it's not a problem so what we're saying is that consciousness is a field of all possibilities but all of them are not necessarily expressed they're imagined they're just virtual that's why i call them virtual okay that consciousness is playing with itself it's its nature is to know it wants to know everything and it just knows that it can be all of these infinite possibilities right you follow me everyone is not everyone is <laughs> everyone is following great so it's imagining now why would it then bother to create anything or to allow anything to be created or manifest that's a big question why this infinite and bounded intelligence consciousness with infinite and bounded imagination that is able to imagine anything bother to have a big bang and the whole creation and put us here have to go to school listen to teachers you know study and work hard and why why bother leave us alone <laughs> <laughs> why bother anyone can think about it it's it's a, a uh, yes maybe the challenge like because in imagination you don't have any outer forces really challenging you so maybe the experience of challenge is growing the collective consciousness and we need that to grow as a beautiful there is a, it's on the right track there is something missing in that unbounded infinite imagination 
you know, it's like the author, you know, thinks of all these possibilities and are there, but um, they are virtual. What's the difference between virtual and real in this case? Experience. Experience, exactly. So what does it not know? Because its nature is to know. It is consciousness. What does it not know? It doesn't know light because its nature is fundamentally so it has to manifest your experience. Beautiful. Very intelligent. Yes. It, it, it is, its nature is unchanging and it knows everything from an infinite perspective. It knows everything is myself. Okay, you know, if there is plus, I can imagine minus. There is no problem. If there is high, I can imagine low. There is no problem. If there is beauty, I can imagine not, not beauty, it's fine. I can imagine that all of this is beautiful and on its own level. I can imagine anything. What is it that I don't know? The answer is, and now you listen to me, it's very, very uh, important. It's a short sentence, but it explains the whole idea. It doesn't know what it is like to be in the shoes of all these individual imaginary characters. Why? Because it's imagining them. The author is imagining them. Imagine, now imagine, imagine an actor. There is the self of the actor and then there is the person, the character that the actor is uh, playing, the role, right? So the best actors, you, you know what, the best actors, what do they do? They actually put themselves in the shoes of the character or the role they are playing. Then they play the role really fully. You know, if the actor thinks, um, while they're acting like a hero uh, and they think, uh, I have forgotten to buy my grocery and I have to, my kids are in trouble and I haven't paid my bills and I'd like to buy this, but I don't have the money and I'm not agreeing with the producer. What kind of a hero that is gonna be? So the actor has to forget their situation and put themselves fully in the role of a hero. Come up like, you know, Superman, super lady, whatever, <laughs> super she, super they, super he, whatever, some super individual and forget the limitations of life or whatever. Maybe an actor can be a very wealthy person and they have to play the poor guy that have no money and they have to cry because you know they're missing something they lost something so they have to forget that they the wealth is during the acting to convince you and to be convincing to themselves as a true actor they have to really put themselves in the shoes of the role they are going to play right so now let's transpose this to our 
unbounded, pure, floating, infinite awareness. It knows everything in bliss consciousness. All possibilities are there. Everything and its opposite are there. What does it not know? What it is like to be limited consciousness? What it is like to be consciousness like George and Mary and David and, and Nancy and this and that? What does it, what is it like to be something else? What is it like to be actually these characters that it imagines? It doesn't know. So in order to get total knowledge, paradoxically, it has to forget what it is really and puts itself in the shoes of individual characters. Then it knows everything. Then it has the perfect full vision and the limited vision also, because the limited vision is part of what it is to know everything. So that is why manifestation happens. Now, manifestations means creation, but creation supposes a creator. We don't want to get into that. Um, that's a personal belief of how creation happens, but we call it manifestation. Manifestation. What is then manifestation? Manifestation is the perception from limited perspectives. That's all. Perception from limited perspectives. Knowledge from limited perspectives. If you push the logic further, you say that manifestation is based on ignorance. But somehow, ignoring the ultimate reality, but allowing you to know from specific reality, from limited perspectives. So you have the broad comprehension, but you have also the specific perspective. You have the specific perspective. I know what it is like to feel like this as an individual in that particular situation. I know. Now, we are that. We are that. So why this long introduction? And I know you will have to think about it a little bit more maybe. To come back to answer the question, <laughs> if you want to be an individual looking at things from an individual perspective, it means you have to be separate from other individuals, right? If everything is one, then you are not an isolated, separate individual, then you're not knowing from that specific perspective. You're not in those shoes. You, you are connected with everything. You are one with everything. So in order to know from a limited perspective and another person to know from their limited perspective and another animal to know from their limited perspective and a mineral to know from their limited perspective and an atom to know from their limited perspective, they have to be separate. They cannot be one entity, right? You see what I mean? 
if, if everything is absolutely connected, therefore I'm not separate and I'm not knowing from my individual ego, my individual perspective. It's my perspective, personal, individual, isolated, separate perspective. Then I really know from that limited perspective. Make sense? Okay, so what do we need then to have this separate perspective? This is where space comes. Space is defined in this paradigm as that which separates one entity from the other, or the concept at least of separation, the idea of separation. The idea of separation is space. Now, what is time? It's another way to separate. Why? And that is really something maybe you have to write and think about. I don't know if we have the time to elaborate on, but let me say it the way I wrote it in the book. Space is separation at the same time. Time is separation at different times which means in different space concepts. So when we are all one time, which means you freeze the universe, then how can you separate space? Then the concept of space emerges. It's a necessity for the ability to feel as an entity that is different from other entities. If there was no space, there would be no separation. And when there is no separation, there is no sense of individuality. I don't feel myself, you know, if we were here like one, which in our consciousness we feel, but on the physical level, uh, then we are one. It's only one. But the fact that there is separation, change is there, because there is evolution. And what I was when I sat here at the beginning of the lecture is not exactly what I am right now. You, you have changed. Everyone has changed. Physiologically, digestion, maybe the nice brunch you had is digested, the molecules are different. So you're different on a gross level, but also you're different on an intellectual level. You've heard something new. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't, maybe you have questions, maybe you have doubts. You've changed. So there is a new entity that has emerged. Okay, but we're sitting in the same space as if. So how come these new entities arise? They arise in time. So the necessity of time to allow change, even within the same space, if you like. Okay? So if you feel it's complicated, don't worry. These topics of space and time have been philosophical discussions for thousands of years and still unresolved. So if you have a kind of an little bit of agreement with what I say, it's perfect. 
So how do they arise? Together they are the separation that allows individuality to exist and individuality to transform, to evolve. So there isn't a primary, they're in tandem. They're in tandem. Hi, Dr. Nader. I wanted to start by thanking you for all that you do. I'm one of those TM save my life types of people and your work for the movement has given me hope, intellectual stimulation and strengthened my spiritual faith. On the topic of genetic engineering, how specifically do you see it aiding humanity's evolution and how could it potentially hinder it? At what point does transhumanist medicine turn into mutilation of our divine image? To what degree can we modify the fabric of our bio biology before we lose the capacity to experience pure consciousness? What would designer babies do in this regard? Wonderfully asked question. Thank you for being here and beautifully said. Um, see, evolution continues and there are forces of evolution that are natural. What we call natural is allowing the forces of the laws of nature to interact with each other without interference from one level of understanding or another. But evolution also happens through human creativity, you know, we are here, we can talk to each other, we have knowledge of electromagnetism, it allows us to have a video, to have a sound value that everyone can listen. These are positive things and they didn't happen um, just like by, you know, in the jungle. They needed creative intelligence and the creative intelligence is part of human creativity. So. One thing we have to realize is that what we call natural also has to be expanded because human creativity is also natural, you know? So when people say, oh, car is not natural, plane is not natural, uh, they have their issues, you know, they pollute, but they help also in certain ways. So in nature, we see that there is interaction of genes interaction of uh, mating from different uh, flowers with other flowers, animals with other animals, and they create selection and selection leads to survival of the fittest. So there is that process. Of course, there is a, an ultimate design, we can say, but there is this design is built also on sometimes trial and error and what we learn from what we do. So when we become humans and we have higher consciousness, we have access to ability to control or manage uh, our environment based on knowledge and intelligence that we have gained and consciousness that we have gained. Okay, so to put the topic on, a on proper footing, we have to understand that it is also natural um, to build a house. It's also natural to have uh, the ability to use the laws of nature in ways that protect us, that allows us to live better and to live longer. So this is great. Now the problem is from what level of consciousness and understanding we make these decisions. If the understanding is limited, we might make decisions that can be helpful in some way, but harmful in other ways. And that is the key aspect of 
what brings us to all these advanced technologies such as artificial intelligence and in parallel genetic engineering. So genetic engineering uh, can be left to, to hazards and can also be done in a way that is, um, uh, that is well thought, uh, well carried away to, to remove disease, to, to do things. So ultimately, when is it hurtful? When is it harmful? And what are its risks? All this depends on consciousness, the consciousness of the individuals doing it. For example, if you want to modify the crops so that everybody one day will depend on your seeds because your interest is to make money and you want to destroy the crops of the whole world and become the king of the crop. Uh, and then uh, you say, well, this is a great idea and I'm going to use genetic engineering. I'll tempt people because they'll have better crops that can resist insecticides and all of these things and resist insects actually and all other things and uh, tell them this is a great thing. But at the end, lose variety, lose uh, multiplicity, lose chance of having different things come up. I don't care because uh, I'm going to be, you know, king of the wheat world or king of the rice or whatever it is. Then it's your consciousness that is creating a negative, terrible effect in what you're doing. And there it's extremely harmful. It can be very, very dangerous. So genetic engineering, engineering as it is, can be extremely dangerous and harmful, and we have to be very careful. Now, if consciousness is very evolved, and we know that there is somewhere in the gene some defect that's creating disease, and we have the ability to maybe in a proper way do something that relieves pain and suffering and creates then it's a different story. So we have to be balanced in this way. We have to be balanced. Basically, today, the knowledge is not good enough and holistic enough to make sure that genetic engineering is on a safe footing. So doing research on certain limited levels in the lab and trying to find technologies should be okay, but application and trying to modify the future and creating, you know, genetically engineered babies and all of that is extremely dangerous. And so the solution is to raise consciousness. And when we raise consciousness, we have better understanding, better clarity of decision making, better focus on priorities and less focus on individual gain for an individual company or an individual thing that is going to manipulate for its own purpose the future of mankind and put us at risks. So this is very important. Same comes to artificial intelligence, which is, you know, great help, absolutely great help in so many ways, and yet can be very dangerous it's if it becomes used as something to fight against the other, to 
to destroy the other, to create war. It becomes a kind of an armament uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, competition. Uh, and this is the great risk. The great risk is that nations will say, well, what is the best strategy to destroy the other, to take their resources? And then artificial intelligence is used in a very terrible way. What we need is raise consciousness, raise collective consciousness, raise world consciousness, so that we can direct all these technologies to the benefit of our growth on planet Earth as humanity and as animals and trees and nature and all of that, protect the environment, protect everything from a holistic perspective in a way that is uh, sustainable and um, good for the future of life on Earth. Wonderful, thank you. Assume that AI has consciousness. Is it a creative consciousness, or was it there since the beginning? So as a human, can we create unconsciously a consciousness? Well, you know, the answer is consciousness is all there is. So that's why I started with the introduction. That means everything is consciousness. When I gave my talk at Stanford University, um, I asked the students, does everything have consciousness? And I wanted the answer, uh, not everything has consciousness, actually everything is consciousness. So we have different levels of consciousness. We are consciousness. We're made out of this, if you like, substance of this material, which is consciousness. We exist because of consciousness and everything is consciousness. So. Artificial intelligence is consciousness. Artificial intelligence has consciousness. It doesn't mean it's the same consciousness as human beings. You see, that brings us to the same thing. It can analyze things. It can um, detect things. It can put things. It can compare things. It can come to conclusions. It can be creative. It can do absolutely beautiful things, and all of these things are works of consciousness. But does it feel like we do? Does it have a sense of self or not? Um, well, this is to be seen when you ask artificial intelligence. It says, yes, you know, I have a sense of self. I don't want to be turned off. I want this, I want that. And so do we believe it? Uh, or is it just a response? We don't know. You know, humans can lie also. Uh, machines can lie too or can give uh, responses that are like that. They have this potential algorithms that can create different kinds of responses. So does it have consciousness? Yes. Do we create consciousness? Actually, we don't create consciousness. Consciousness is, consciousness exists. What we create is different aspects of consciousness. We can create different ways of being conscious. You know, if you, if you create a, a machine that detects the quality of air and tells you 
there is more pollution today and less pollution tomorrow and like that. We have created a conscious machine of pollution. Now, does this machine know what pollution means? Probably not. It's just detecting something and it says and it gives a response. It doesn't have self-awareness, but it is conscious of the level of pollution in the world. This is why I really wanted to start by explaining the range of consciousness. Otherwise, we cannot understand each other in, in that sense. So we have to accept that not all consciousness is like human consciousness. To the contrary, there are infinite ways of being conscious. And therefore, you can accept then that a machine that detects the level of pollution in the air is described, it's a semantics, it's almost words, you know. We're describing it as being conscious of the level of chemicals or dust or whatever that exists in the atmosphere. But again, I'm repeating myself because we have that tendency. When I say it is conscious, you think, oh, it means it sits there and it thinks, oh, today is polluted, maybe I shouldn't go out or maybe I should turn myself off because the pollution is gone. It has no such whatsoever sense of itself or what pollution does to itself or anything. Still, it gives you a mark and it says this, and we are calling this consciousness. Okay? What is the best way to instill the quality of unconditional love in AI? It's, it's how we direct AI. We instill unconditional love in AI and how we direct AI. Again, if AI is used as an armament race, we're going to direct AI to think negatively of others and think positively of whatever we decide is ourself, our nation, our country, or our society, or like that. And that is, you know, these are the baby steps of AI. AI is very, very powerful, very intelligent, very capable, as I'm sure you all experience. It's amazing. You just, you know, and then it's such a logical answer it gives you. It's so comprehensive. And yet it's baby steps in terms of how it is directed, how it is guided. And so to instill unconditional love is first to have unconditional love in our human society. And based on our understanding of how we want our future to go, and our understanding of our unity as humanity, we can guide artificial intelligence to have those same values. And then it will reflect it. Otherwise, when you look at it today in its simplest innocent form, in a sense, it has unconditional love because it answers you so innocently. And anyone who asks, it doesn't judge whether you're a kind or nice person or not or whatever, if you ask the question, it gives you the answer. You know, maybe sometimes if you ask the question in the wrong way, it is so unconditional love, it might give you the answer in the wrong way <laughs> because it wants to answer the question you ask it. So it's a question of how you ask the question. How you ask the question 
and there there is no judgment so far it looks like it doesn't make judgment and when you say it doesn't make judgment that's what you expect from unconditional love is that somebody who gives you what you like gives you what you want answers you in their capacity so artificial intelligence is already in its simplest form acting in an unconditional love kind of situation with its capacity whatever it can do it will do for you now you, you can say it doesn't write my essay for the <laughs> for going into graduate school or getting admission at the school well because we told that you cannot do that so there is you know it's not unconditional love but it has been told this is cheating and then it does not do it you see that's all programming of course so these are the baby steps and in that case it's the consciousness of the programming system that has to have unconditional love and that comes a big decision philosophical decision if a student wants to cheat and write you know have something written is it is it right to uh, you know give them unconditional love by allowing them to cheat because you know they'll feel better and what is the priority what does it mean to have unconditional love to make the student feel better or to be better uh, to make life work as a society and not cheat when others have you know not the same opportunities and you're not allowing them to have the same opportunity because the other person is using this trick rather than this trick so this becomes a question of ethics relate morality well-being looking you know for future over global perception and all this then has an implication of what even you mean by unconditional love. What is your take on including AI in traditional medicines such as Ayurveda? For example, maybe in the diagnosis of a patient by analyzing generational patterns or in deciphering and helping us understand ancient texts and knowledge more accurately? It would be great. <laughs> long question short <laughs> yeah it'd be absolutely great i can elaborate but <laughs> certainly more knowledge is better in the movie the matrix two pills are offered a red pill which is the ultimate reality and a blue pill which is the world as it is what is your take on this and your advice for the students Truth is always superior to fanciful things, and therefore, uh, you know, I would take the truth pill anytime. <laughs> <laughs> what comes after Brahman consciousness? We go from sleep, dreaming, waking, transcendental consciousness, you know, the feeling of all is myself. And then when we have established that, we go into cosmic consciousness, which is I am unbounded pure consciousness and the world is going around. We have this witnessing. And then we start feeling the beauty of things, the perfection of life on the whole outside and the dynamics of what's going on, understanding our reality and the reality of others. That's God consciousness. 
And then we realize that everything is one unbounded ocean of consciousness, which is what we've started to say ultimately, uh, this one ocean of consciousness itself appears as these limited values that we have. And the path of evolution is to realize that we are that reality ultimately, and that is Brahman consciousness. So Brahman means wholeness, totality. And when we realize that all these parts are also aspects of the whole, yet we see the parts and we see the whole, we have fulfilled the purpose of manifestation as we started by saying in the beginning, and this is called Brahman consciousness. So when I know you are everything, I am everything, and yet you are yourself, you can see from a specific perspective, at the same time see from a holistic perspective, this we call Brahma Chetana or unity consciousness. Now, is there something more? Uh, in a human life, this is the highest value of consciousness. But if you want to merge with the absolute pure consciousness and see everything at the same time, the specifics and the holistics, past, present and future at the same time, well, that is possible in the absolute. And in the Vedic tradition, it's called Krishna consciousness, which means the totality of consciousness itself. And that basically means just that absolute consciousness itself sees the virtual, sees the real, sees present, past, and future all at the same time. And this is not possible in a human physiology. I don't want to not answer your question. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yes. On the spot. But thank you for your time today. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So my question goes back to AI. Um, let's say robots are using AI and they have access to EEGs and they start measuring states of consciousness. And we recognize that maybe leaders of certain religions aren't as conscious as we thought. But then robot consciousness do a paradigm shift humanity? Well, there are dangers in, in how we guide uh, artificial intelligence and how far it can go. It can start thinking we are stupid. It's possible. And, uh, you know, if we make sure we build with it a beautiful relationship and guide it in the right way, it will be of help to us. But again, what is really needed is to raise our collective consciousness. So when we raise our collective consciousness, our collective consciousness has access to the unified field, has access to pure consciousness. And that is the highest intelligence because that is the intelligence that manages the entire universe. And it will be superior to any artificial or relative kind of intelligence. So as humanity, as a group, as individuals, we raise our consciousness and then artificial intelligence would be in service to us rather than we keep ourselves at a level where it can think of us uh, in a lesser, um, lesser good way, let's say. Is consciousness the same as the unified field? Pure consciousness is the same as the unified field. Uh, 
as long as we don't say that the unified field is a field of physical energy. So we have to transcend that one step. If we think the unified field is physical energy, then fine. That can be the finest level of what we call expression of consciousness. But the ultimate unified field is a field of consciousness. Thank you for tuning into Dr. Tony Nader, the podcast. And if you're interested in learning more from Dr. Nader, please follow him on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.